From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Imagine you have a child in school and an active killer walks through the front door. This sick individual has plans to slaughter as many students as he can and starts to murder anyone he sees. In this situation, would you want your child to be helpless for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, until police show up? Or would you prefer that a teacher, staff member, or anyone inside that school had a firearm who could immediately confront the killer. Many people, they say they want an immediate response, which is exactly what one training program teaches. That program is called Faster Saves Lives. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Joe Eaton, Director of the Faster Saves Lives program. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Dean. Happy to be here. Great talking to you today. For those who haven't heard of FASTER, can you explain what that program is all about? Uh, certainly. The FASTER Saves Lives program was originally developed as a way for schools to prepare for some of the most extreme types of violence that they have seen, such as the events at Sandy Hook Elementary School, Parkland, and any of the other ones. Uh, back after the murders happened at the Sandy Hook Elementary School, we started getting calls from schools across the state of Ohio wanting to know how they could safely and effectively include firearms as part of their safety plan. And out of those initial conversations and after months of dealing with some of the nation's experts on the topics, such as how to respond to violent encounters, how to provide the proper type of medical care, and you know, generally how to manage these uh, horrific and chaotic situations, the Faster Saves Lives program was was born early in 2013, and uh, we've continued to grow it every year since. So what does FASTER stand for? That's an acronym, right? F-A-S-T-E-R. It is. It's an acronym. Since we all love acronyms, it stands for Faculty, Administrator, Safety Training, and Emergency Response. It is an all-encompassing program for Mainly for schools was the focus, but for any business, church, or the general public who want to have themselves as prepared as possible to deal with a violent encounter and a mass type of shooting, not only to survive the shooting, but then to have the skills and the training so that they can start saving lives after the event is over. So how long did you say FASTER has been uh, giving this training to educators? We did our first class for 24 school staff in the spring of 2013. Uh, by the time we were able to put that class together, we had a waiting list of over 2,000 school staff that were looking for the training. So after running it for 24, we couldn't really stop at that point and think we had done a good job. So we regrouped. Uh, we looked for additional funding. And right now, we average probably anywhere between six and eight classes a year. And we generally put about 25 school staff in each of the classes. So it continues year after year. We've got already five on the schedule for 2020 or 2021 now. Sorry, lost a whole year there with COVID. And 
you know, we're looking forward to continuing to see growth as we uh, expand to other states and provide this coverage to any schools who need it. So how many people total have gone through the program from the beginning till the last batch of classes? Right now, the numbers are we have trained well over 3,000 school staff from over 250 different districts. And that is across 18 different states. We've had school staff travel from as far as Washington State, from Idaho, from Oklahoma here to Ohio to take the training. Probably 80 to 90% of those numbers are from staff right here in Ohio where we're based at. But we have started providing the classes out in Colorado in 2017. Uh, We started doing the first classes in Indiana in 2018. We actually did one class in Utah in 2019. So as we see demand in different parts of the country, we currently have the bandwidth where the instructors can do these remote and out-of-state classes as long as there's demand and funding to provide them to the schools. And then such as we saw in Colorado when the demand outpaces what we can provide with the trainers here in Ohio, uh, we look for capable partners out there to continue on and run the program when we're not able to travel. So here in Ohio, how many school systems or how many counties have trained personnel in them right now? Well, that seems to be the question everybody wants to know. And I can only speak for what the Faster Saves Lives program has worked with. Uh, As I said, we've already trained over 3,000 school staff, of which probably 90% of those are from here in Ohio. But on the flip side, we also know there are lots of schools out there that work with their local law enforcement or with other trainers to do the same thing, to have highly trained and highly motivated armed staff inside the schools. So getting that number is very difficult, and that's why I generally only speak to what our program has worked with. And out of those 3,000 school staff, we have trained people from, I believe it is 78, 79 of Ohio's 88 counties. So it is not a rural or an urban issue. It is a school safety issue. And the majority of the districts out there put it as a priority in their planning. Now, is there an issue with, uh, I know that some school districts will come right out and say, hey, we have armed personnel. Others want to keep that a little more close to the vest. How does that break down? Uh, is that just sort of a district by district thing uh, as far as what their strategy is for letting people know? Yeah, Fortunately, in Ohio, the current law allows for total local control over their decision on who can carry firearms into their school zone. And so we leave the decision making up to each individual school board who is the one who has the authorization authority. Uh, We encourage the schools to publicly announce that they're adopting such a program, but then to keep all the details such as who is involved in it, how many, how they're doing it all part of their safety plan and only discuss it in an executive session. So far in Ohio, I tried to track the ones that have gone public and we have well over 30 different school districts, which is probably about 15% of the ones that we have trained that have been public about their involvement in the program. Uh, Other ones, nobody except for the school board and whoever is uh, responsible for the oversight of the program, knows that they have a program. Uh, We'll have districts that you'll have two teachers sitting at a lunch table together. One of them uh, will be trained and armed and the other staff member doesn't even know they have such a program in their district. Or you can flip that the other way. We have plenty of districts that have large signs on the front door that 
announce to everyone coming in that they have an armed safety program in place and that they plan to use everything within their power to keep their students and their staff safe. So it's best that the schools make those decisions on their own. Um, you know, like it or not, there's always going to be a certain segment of the population who don't understand why schools are including firearms as part of their safety plan. And, you know, these teachers that are part of the program, they still have to function in the community. They still have to go to the football games and to the church events and to the birthday parties. So it helps a lot with the community dynamics uh, in some areas. And then we have other schools that have for a year or two kept it very close to the uh, to the cuff and not said anything about it. And then later, after they've uh, had a couple of years to uh, prove that it is a viable program, then they come out in public with it. So it works well for all the schools. They know their students, their staff, their communities better than anyone else. And that's where the decisions need to be made. So as far as a deterrent effect uh, is considered, you would rather that the schools come right out and tell everybody so that uh, the community knows that there could be a response in the school or, or, or is it the other way that some don't want to announce it so that it, it's sort of like concealed carry. It's more of a tactical surprise when something like that happens. What, what's your take on that? Well, we recommend that schools do announce that they have this type of program because, you know, it, it's hard to nail down exact proof, but what we've seen in most of the events, especially when these mass type of killing events occur in a school most of the time, these people are not looking for a fight or a challenge. They are simply looking for a place that is safe for them to strike back and to cause as much damage as possible. While it's not 100%, letting someone know that they are not going to have free reign to commit violence in a school has to have some certain type of deterrent effect. Of course, you'll always have the outliers such as you know terrorist events or other uh, type of events where the person realizes that they are not going to survive this situation that, you know, even some type of effective defense will not deter them all. But for the majority that we've seen in the past history, especially in schools, having that deterrent effect, it may not stop them entirely. But as Colonel Grossman says, you know, if you can deflect them from your school, unfortunately, to the neighboring school down the street, that's a win for your district, and you know you have to hope that the other districts take it just as seriously. So, Joe, can you describe a typical faster class and you know how that goes, what the curriculum is, what people learn? Yeah, um, in the media, a lot of the focus is on the firearms uh, because that's what gets them the clicks and the views that they need to to earn a living. But the firearms are a small but a very important part of the program. We start off with, of course, to meet federal law, all the staff in a school have to have a concealed handgun license from the state where the school is at. So they start off by getting their concealed carry license on their own. Uh, then we found over the years that there's such a wide variety of concealed carry training out there that we then have the staff attend a six to eight hour, what we call our Faster Foundations course, which gets them all on a level training field. Some concealed carry classes they have never drawn from a holster or they have never shot single-handed or off-handed. So our foundations classes gets them a good base foundational skills with the modern thumbs forward grip, gets them adequate with the sights and the trigger and comfortable doing uh, reloads and shooting off-handed and some experience shooting while moving. That way, when they get into our level one program, which is the first three-day 
training program that we offer to the schools. Uh, they're all at a similar level, and then the instructors can take them much further at that point. So there are different levels of training. Uh, yes, we started off with our level one training program is what it is known as now. It is uh, basically three and a half days of firearms, general crisis and emergency uh, management type of training. And very importantly, it also includes a large amount on the trauma medical training, you know, how to treat the wounds that you're most likely to see in these type of violent events, tourniquet application, both professional, how do you improvise tourniquets if you need to, chest seals, compression bandages, airway management, the simple type of treatment that they can apply very quickly, which buys the victims a few more minutes to get the professionals there to get them to definitive care. So that is our first three-day program. Starts off with a lot of the, the firearms is a huge part of it because they have to have an effective way of stopping the killing. And that's goes back to the whole faster saves lives mentality is that we've proven time and time again in these events is that time is all that matters. To save lives in a mass killing event, the first thing you have to do is stop the killing as soon as possible. And that's by having somebody there with the means and the ability and the motivation to stop the killing. Some events, all they have to do is verbally confront the killer, such as we saw at Chardon High School and a few of the other ones. But other times, it will require a firearm to stop the killer by incapacitating him. But once you've completed step one, stopping the killing, the second thing that we've got to do is stop the dying. We've got to have our school staff trained not only in CPR and basic first aid, but in the trauma type of medicine that they may need in these situations. Because every minute that you allow the violence to continue, we'll see between five and seven additional dead or injured. And it is still sad that a lot of the EMTs, their standard protocol out there now is to set up and stage down the road and wait until the police officers have went through every room in the building, every locker in the building, every desk in the building before they'll go in and start treating the injured. So that falls back on the school staff. They have to have that training and the ability to keep them people alive until the professionals can get in and provide the proper medical care. My sister is a teacher out in Las Vegas, and uh, she's been there for about 30 years. I was actually a teacher out there too, but my entire teaching career lasted like three weeks, three days, and I quit. So, you know, she obviously has lasted a lot longer than I have. But I was asking her one day, about the kind of training they had and if they had any first aid training at all. I mean, even just applying, you know, a bandage for a boo-boo or anything like that. And I was really surprised that she said they did not want any teachers to do anything whatsoever. They, they had to send them to a school nurse regardless. What's it like here in Ohio? I mean, are, do teachers have any kind of training at all on anything medical or trauma-related? Uh, no, not in Ohio. There is nothing which is mandated for them. I do believe that your basic CPR and probably AED training, uh, because we have the AED devices in, uh, in all the schools now also. But again, I don't think a lot of our kids are having heart attacks or, you know, needing the CPR training. And the type of trauma medical training that, that we provide to schools is valuable training, not only for these violent events, but also for severe weather emergencies, uh, sports, uh, kitchen lab, bus accidents, that type of stuff can, can come into play. In fact, it was in the, the month of May of 2019, we had three of our school staff use the medical training alone in one month's time 
Two of those were actually life-saving events. The third one, which was not a life-saving event, is the only one that occurred actually in a school. A young girl ended up with a compound fracture. Fortunately, the compound fracture did not hit any arteries or major blood vessels. The other two were school staff that were simply out in their communities, and they were able to use the tools that they had with them and the training we had provided to save lives. And, you know, that's an important thing to realize is the first thing that you've got to change in your your school staff is the mindset that they are not helpless, that they can make these situations better and that they're responsible for making these situations better. And I relate it to the schools that I go out and speak to, such as, you know, there's no other emergency that a school, their plan is I'm going to sit here and wait on outside help. If you've got a kid that falls in a swimming pool and drowns, we don't simply stand at the side of the pool, dial 911, and wait for the paramedics to show up. Anybody in the school would jump into the pool. They'd pull the kid out. They'd get them to the side. They're all trained in CPR, and they would start saving lives immediately while they're waiting for the EMTs to arrive. And we've got to empower them and train them and equip them to do the same exact thing in these type of violent events or other emergencies such as the weather or bus or sports accidents. How much does politics enter into this? Because I know that a lot of the unions really oppose this. I I know that I was uh, attending a meeting at a local suburb here in the Columbus area. They were the audience who were attending, who I assume were mostly parents of the uh, kids in the school, were actually applauding when uh, when the police chief said that uh, police officers wouldn't carry rifles in the schools uh, or that the police themselves uh, generally wouldn't enter the schools. And I thought that that's a really odd kind of mindset for people to have. You know, is, is this a, a, a political thing where in some schools the parents or the teachers, the unions just don't want this uh, and it has nothing to do with safety? It's just politics? Uh, you're always going to find outliers like that. And, you know, it is, I will credit the schools, you know, when we first started the program, I felt certain it was going to have to be a ground level parents and staff demanding that schools start doing this. But over the years, we've found it actually a lot more of it comes top down from the, from the school boards and the administrators looking at the news, seeing what's happening and, you know, saying, what can I do? What should I do? I had one school superintendent who he laid it out to me like this. He's like, you know, I get up every Monday morning and I think to myself, you know, is this the week that our school makes the papers because of our academic and our sports accomplishments? Or is this the week that we make the school paper because somebody comes in here and murders my school staff and students? And that's really a terrible way to start your week. But again, he takes it seriously and realizes, you know, it's up to him and the school board to decide, yes, the, the odds of having a major violent event like this happen in your school is truthfully almost so minuscule that you can overlook it. But then they have to balance that against the extreme devastation to their entire community that would occur if something like this happened. And that's where the school boards and the superintendents and the other administrators have really done a good job of balancing those two out and coming up with a good solution. What about other contexts or other situations where, you know, we're talking about schools, but what about churches or the workplace or something like that? Is, is FASTER applicable in some of these other places? Of course it is, because again, the school, the skills that we're, we're providing through this program, 
go back to the timeline that we've got to shorten. How do I stop the killing as soon as possible? And how do I start saving lives? And, you know, we're starting to see more violence occur in the churches and the workplaces. And so we started probably back in about 2015 or 2016, getting a lot of demand from churches, businesses, and the general public for the training. So we have opened the Faster Saves Lives program up to churches and businesses and to the general public to to come out and take this training on their own. We do have grants that we provide to the school staff on a limited basis. Uh, unfortunately, we, we've got to focus our limited funds the best that we can. So we ask the churches, the businesses, and the public to cover the cost of the, uh, the training that we provide. Uh, however, we do have some incentives that currently the last couple of years, any church business or outside group that wants to send two people through the training, uh, we're allowing them to send a third person free of charge, which helps them hit the ground running at a uh, more reasonable cost to them and to provide more coverage by having more people that are trained within their program. So we encourage anybody that, that is interested in this, uh, look at what we're offering. Right now, we are not aware of another program anywhere in the United States that has the amount of history, the amount of people trained, or that has worked with the number of specific subject matter experts that we have to provide this type of all-encompassing curriculum. And as I said, the level one is just the first year of the training. Uh, we actually provide levels two and levels three that are available for schools to continue on and improve uh, their response to these type of events. So if people are interested in signing up for these uh, programs, for this training, whether they're teachers, administrators, or people who maybe are part of a church security team or whoever they are, how do they sign up? They can go to the website, fastersaveslives.org. First thing is, is they'll see a link to apply for training, which basically gets you on our mailing list for all the announcements on the classes that we have available. If classes are open and registration is open for them, they will see links to all of them with the dates near the bottom of the main website. So that's the easiest way. Uh, they can also, you know, contact us directly and we can work with them on, you know, any questions or anything that they have because there's a lot of misinformation out there and we want to try and make sure that everybody understands, you know, why we think this is the best program that's available and exactly what it will provide to their students, their staff, their employees, their congregation, or whoever it is that's attending the training. Well, Joe, thanks for spending time with us today. Good luck with this year's Faster Classes. Thanks a lot, Dean. Hopefully we'll see you out at the range this summer. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code podcast to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.